Today on CityCast Salt Lake, local news enthusiast and community health director Shireen Gorbani is here, and we're rounding out the week's news by taking your calls. Just so you know, Shireen is also married to our producer, Nick Steffens. It's Friday, April 22nd, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Good morning, Shireen. Happy Earth Day. Oh, hey. Happy Earth Day. (sighs) Welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Welcome back. I'm so excited to be back. We are um, here for another Friday Roundup. It's been another rodeo of a week in Salt Lake. But we've also got some listener calls that we're going to play to kind of guide our conversation here. And we've got producer Diane Madge Pinto with us, and she's going to hit play on a couple of them. And then you and I, of course, are going to share what's on our minds this week. So are you ready for it? it. Oh, I am ready for it. I'm first. I just have to say, listeners, call in. It's so exciting (laughs) to call in. I think my call, if I'm not mistaken, made the show. Um, I'm pretty sure. So you can go ahead, call in. What's on your mind? And I, I just want to say, it it doesn't have to be super newsy. It it can be mm-hmm. whatever. I'm excited. I don't know what we're about to hear, but I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, there's nothing better than when people call in and are like, I just tripped on something. Why is it here? You may be hearing from me about my feelings about <laughs> breakfast burritos in this town. Oh, perfect. We look forward to that conversation. Diane, why don't you hit play on our first call here? Hey, my name is Raymond Perez, and I live in Salt Lake City, kind of in the Sugar House neighborhood off 2100 and Third West. But here's what's going on in my world. I am looking for a new place to rent, looking online through ads, scoping through what's in the budget. I found something probably near Capitol Hill or the avenues. But the listing said, you know, you need kind of three months worth of finances. So $700 for the first month, $700 deposit, and then $700 a month for the last month. And for me, I think that's just... So outrageous. Too much. You know, it's a room and mm-hmm. a house. That's twenty one hundred dollars I have to fork up just to live there and I don't think it's worth it. It's yeah. just like so much money for a little room and a space. But that's where I'm at. Wanna know what your thoughts are on the current uh, housing market in Utah and if it's affordable anymore, building the city. All right. Bye. It's fully not affordable and that is that is documented fact, Ray. At this point, it is unaffordable to live yeah. in Salt Lake County. Yeah. Salt Lake County actually was this week there were two statistics that two sort of data points that dropped that were just like shocking but not surprising. One is Salt Lake is now one of the top ten counties in the United States for basically like changing into being unaffordable. So it's like become unaffordable at a high rate. And then we saw that Utah housing prices have jumped 200% in what, since 2000. So yeah, the average cost to buy a house in the city is well over $550,000, which of course means that the average cost to rent in the city is up, up, up. Yeah. So, and I, I know that in that report of unaffordable places, um, Davis County also made the list, which I think is 
I, I don't know that it's a surprise, but you know, when you think like, oh, I could just pop over to North Salt Lake, which is really close, right? Um, that's also, mm-hmm. you know, quickly becoming mm-hmm. out of reach. And I happen to know that rent in Utah County is exploding actually at a rate that's even faster than what we're seeing in Salt Lake County. And rent, so um, Ray's call was specifically about renting. So the housing market is one thing, mm-hmm. and that's unaffordable. But rental, um, we don't have enough, and we're seeing you know incredibly expensive uh, rental prices as well. So this is, I mean, this is a complex yeah. problem, and I think about it especially in the context of we also just got news this week that um, Utah again was uh, sort of rated like number one for economic outlook, and and there are a lot of things that are going right here. Yeah, if we do not think about and address, mm-hmm. I think quickly some of these big infrastructure issues like the cost of housing, like the availability of housing, um, that's where we get mm-hmm. into a situation like this. So it's so things are booming, but you can't live here. Yeah. Well, and whenever I see like a rental listing, because I am a renter too, and whenever I see a listing that's like, oh, we're going to need, you know, like Ray said, well over two grand up front in order for you to live here. I think about that um, statistic that came out a couple of years ago that was the on a national level, the average American can't afford a yeah. $400 emergency. And I think about that all the time. And it's like, so we're operating under the assumption, though, that we've all got a couple grand to throw down just to find a room, a room to rent in this city. Absolutely right. not. Who's got no. that? No. And it should be, I mean, the I think data point is something like 30% of your income should go to housing. We're like way beyond that here. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So basically, Ray, yes, agreed. It sucks. I would go so far as to say it's absolute bullshit. Um, are there things that, you know, we've talked about affordable housing a little bit. We did a show with Emily Means and talked about some bills that rolled off the legislature this year that, you know, signified more of an investment in housing in the city. But it just doesn't seem like things are going up quickly enough to accommodate for what we need and or that what's going up is going to be ultimately that much more affordable. Right, right. And I think the other thing is we have, you know, just like deep nimbyism kind of everywhere too. Nobody Mm -hmm. wants the open space around them to be filled in with housing. Mm -hmm. Um, I've lived through this personally in my previous political life, but we have to elect people who have a vision for how we are going to address the housing crisis. And that in some cases, right, means, uh, you know, people who are willing to build and that needs to be a diversity of housing. Um, We need to have more cities step up when we're thinking about what's happening um, across this county. Um, Mm -hmm. And and there really does need to be a statewide strategy. And I know that there is a strategy. There are, you know, pieces of this in progress. It's just not moving fast enough. Yeah, agreed. All right. What's our next call? Hi, my name is Zach Stolarski, and I live in the East Liberty Park neighborhood of Salt Lake City. So I'm calling in today to talk about street lights. <laughs> my wife and I would always take walks during the night with our cute little puppy, Porter, and we realized that all these street lights in our neighborhood had been out. So I reported in the city, thinking they'd be fixed, and then I heard back that actually the city doesn't own the street lights in the public right away, that the private owner, the private residents own them with all the lights in front of their house. So if you wanted them fixed, you actually have to have the private residents fix them. I contacted the Rocky Mountain Power, East Liberty Park Organization, and my local councilman, Dan Mano, and he told me that they told me the same thing, that the lights in the public right-of-way are not actually owned by the city. Hmm. I think this is interesting because uh, it's a big safety concern at night, seeing those lights out. Uh, people get cars get broken mm-hmm. into. That's right. And uh, also, I see the other side, why the lights should be out. Because I know we like to keep our skies dark for birds. Um, but it doesn't look great to have all these street lights out if you're driving through the area and the neighborhoods of Salt Lake City seeing all these street lights that aren't working. 
Anyway, just those are my thoughts on streetlights. Thanks. Bye. That's a public service announcement. <laughs> Honestly, I think the lights that Zach is referring to are those old style lights. They actually have a way of classifying them. So they've got the eight sided concrete base, green pole. They're shorter in height and they do look kind of old timey. Yeah. I think the situation is this. The city considers them decorative, but I did not know that they were. I always thought of them as well as being a little decorative, but I didn't know that it was the job of property owners to manage them and pay for the electricity. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to, I just like, I don't know. So what do we need to do? We have to go (laughs) knock on people's doors and be like, do you need help? Like, how do you even change the light? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the city I know provides a little bit of guidance on how to do that because I did look into this a bit. But what's interesting to me is the debate about streetlights versus dark skies in specifically an urban space because Salt Lake is a very urban place. And the dark sky movement basically says, look, there have been studies that this kind of lighting doesn't necessarily make streets safer. The dark skies people point to studies that were done nationally that say that bright light doesn't necessarily make a safe space safer or decrease crime. But at the same time, we're seeing all this reporting this year of pedestrians being hit by cars in this city, sometimes fatal, sometimes not. And you would think we need to light up our streets, especially in the winter where it's like, oh, you're going to take your dog for a walk after 4 p.m. Guess what? It's dark out. Pitch black. Yeah. 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 I wish we could have a lot of little light, like a, like a gentle kind of glow mm-hmm. that doesn't disrupt too much, mm-hmm. provide too much light pollution, but allows you to see uneven sidewalks so you don't hit the ground. Yeah, because you're a runner. So I feel like you're always I, looking down. I'm always looking down. I feel like sometimes there are some sidewalks I'm in the lower abs that are, it is a trail run, but it is on the street because there's just like a lot of uneven surfaces. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm, I feel like once a year, I just really take a tumble. Yeah. Yeah. Usually not light related. No. But I guess the question is, is the city doing this specifically to discourage people from lighting those up at all because they want to see more dark skies in the neighborhood? And I think that is a question for the city. So if you're the city light manager and you're listening, please call Call in and let us know. We'd We'd love an answer to this. And so would Zach. Yeah. Thanks, Zach. That was a good one. Yeah, that was a good PSA. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. All right, Diane, what's up next? Hi, my name is Tara, and I live in Sugar House. And I am calling uh, because my news this week is that I hate lawns. There are too many lawns, and I want to know 
if the city has any interest or if this is even a thing that the city could do to help people zero escape their yards or provide some kind of subsidy, sort of like we've done with solar panels. There's just too many lawns. Um, and especially in a desert, I don't see how we're going to get through the next 10 to 20 years with this many lawns. That's all. I'm just mad about lawns. Big news. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Love the show. Bye. <laughs> I'm mad about lawns, too. I'm really on one about this. Are you? Okay. I'm excited to hear about this because um, I'm firmly in the camp of lawns are not the problem. Okay. So I... I agree with you. I think that like there are much bigger things that need to be done to conserve water than asking individuals to xeriscape. But we also know as individuals that we are constantly being thrown this like, here's what you can do sort of uh, messaging from the powers that be who have like a lot more power than us. That said, I'm annoyed about water right now because... It's a dire situation. It's a dire situation. And the Utah legislature was kind of patting itself on the back this year, I think, about some of the water policy that it passed. And there are a couple big things that they did. One is we're now going to be measuring secondary water use, which is basically like, you know, hoses, irrigation systems, et cetera, which is a good thing. Yep. We're also requiring that any new state-run facilities have 20% less grass which feels like, okay. And then we're requiring that state-run facilities decrease their watering by 5% by next year, 25% by 2026. 5% is a real drop in the bucket, no pun intended. And when you look at the situation around us, for example, officials in Arizona being told that if Lake Powell gets any lower, the people of Page on the Navajo Nation might be turning on their taps and not getting any water at all. It's kind of insulting. And so I think for me, the lawns are the synecdoche of, of like the bigger problem of, holy shit, people, we need to like majorly, majorly reconsider how we use water and how we buy water. Totally. I will say, though, I think the lawns are the like stop using straws in the, you know, plastic consumable analogy, mm. right? People, I love it when people are like, you know, I have my reusable straw, but you also have like an entire takeout box that came in a plastic bag. Like that right. is what's happening here, right? So when we think about where water is really used in this state, I am definitely on the side of probably not popular and unlikely to like ever <laughs> go forward. We got it. We have to stop golfing. Yeah. And then I think really thinking about, you know, where in agriculture and in manufacturing, we have big opportunities to address water usage, because that is basically if you look at a breakdown of where our water is is used in the state, that is where we are using it. We're using something like 24% on golf mm -hmm. courses, and then a huge percentage 70 plus percent on agriculture and manufacturing. And then there's like that small sliver. And that's us. Mm -hmm. Totally believe I'm a you know, liberal person who kind of falls into the camp of we all need to be doing our part. Absolutely. Right. That matters. I think it, whether it's toilet flushing or your lawn, mm -hmm. taking shorter showers, all of that does matter because this is an absolute crisis. Mm -hmm. However, lawns are a, a small portion of really the bigger problem here. And I'm a person who is in the process of getting rid of all the grass at my house yeah. and really only want to water things that I can eat. So fruit mm -hmm. trees and, and a little garden. 
I do agree with you. Policing our neighbors on their watering or their lawn use is a real distraction from the bigger issue, which is you pointed to agriculture, specifically our water policy around farming in the state, which is use it or lose it. So if you have a huge farm that you're managing and you need less water right now, you might still be watering for the heck of it just because whatever you use this year is what you get next year. And so the policy itself is designed to incentivize, some might say incentivize a little bit of waste. And so these are the things that like I would love to see the legislature really revisiting in a big way as opposed to being like, don't worry, we're cutting, you know, lawn watering at the U by 5% by next year. Right. Or you can go to your city and like swap out your curb. It's not enough. And we should do that. Right. Right. We right, should right, be right. able to do that too. Yep. Everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. We have one last call here. Oh, so exciting. Hi, this is Brian Mapley. I'm calling to give the alley an update on the Parley's Canyon mine deal. The county council finalized the zoning ordinance change that would ban new mines from being developed in the foothills of Salt Lake County, or in the Wasatch foothills. And it appears that the lawyers for the limestone quarry are are contemplating some kind of legal action, uh, according to their letters to the city attorney's office. So I want to let you know about that. These lawyers are claiming that they have, uh, Tree Farm LLC has a quote-unquote vested right to uh, extract aggregates from the foothills. Oh. And they explain the, the rationale in these letters. Um, my opinion, it, it's pretty flimsy, but it is what it is. See ya. Interesting update. Okay, absolutely. Love getting a call from Salt Lake Tribune environmental reporter Brian <laughs> Maffley, who we had on the show a couple weeks ago to talk about this Parley's Canyon Mine proposal. And I do indeed appreciate this update that Tree Farm LLC intends to sue. I don't think it's terribly surprising. I mean, they've put a lot of eggs into this basket. But I'm curious, Shereen, you used to be on the county council. How are you feeling about that vote that they took to stop the mine? Yeah, I think it's good. My understanding is that they got quite a bit of response from people. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think a lot of people feel unheard by their representatives, but yeah. it was a situation where it mattered. And I think, you know, keep keep the pressure on. And I just think about all of these open kind of sores across our county, looking out Mm. at the ochres and kind of seeing, um, you know, mountaintop removal, like really looking at the impacts here. And I understand that there's an economic side to this. And, you know, we need to, if we're going to keep building, we need to build, right? I just said that a little bit ago. There are, Mm -hmm. you know, things that we need, like gravel and other things. But there's a balance to this. And I think there's a way to do it that doesn't fundamentally disrupt and scar some of our most beautiful and highly visited places. So I hope that Mm -hmm. they're able to fend this off, fend off the lawsuit, and that we do not see the mine there. Yeah. I mean, based on my understanding of just litigation in general, this could be something that goes on for a while. But having the county council on the side of absolutely not is definitely a, a plus for the no mine here. Yeah, it's good. It is good. Shireen, if you were to call in this week, what would you call about? The thing that's on my mind is 
access to reproductive health care. I'm mm-hmm. concerned about where we're heading in the conversations around abortion in this country. Um, yeah. You know, I think that we're poised to see a decision from the Supreme Court that would uh, trigger a bunch of laws that have been passed across this nation mm-hmm. that will make it incredibly difficult for people to have autonomy over their bodies. Yeah. Um, I'm a mom, and I have to say, becoming a mom uh, really solidified for me the belief that no one should be forced to carry a pregnancy. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, you know, the future I think that we're looking at. I'm just so, I'm worried, I'm frustrated. And and I think too, when, you know, we talk about really what has reduced abortion, people seeking abortions in this country, it's access to healthcare. Yeah. Um, when people know how to protect themselves, when they have access to birth control, mm-hmm. um, when that is you know not a, a clinic visit that breaks the bank, um, mm-hmm. they're m- less likely to seek to seek abortions. And there are many things that we could be doing to expand that access to make sure that people have the kind of healthcare that they need that um, you know prevents people, or I guess I should say, creates less of an opportunity, right, for people to have mm-hmm. to make that decision. Um, but to think that we can just you know, legislate this out of existence is not how abortion works. It will just become uh, more dangerous, right. uh, more underground. And I don't think that it's it's certainly not good health policy. And it's also, I think, extremist in a way that is terrifying to me. So right. a couple things on that. You can still get an abortion in this state and, you know, Planned Parenthood and and uh, locally and then of the of the region will continue to work to provide this kind of critical care to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I'm heartsick about it and and I wish that we were having a totally different conversation about what it means to actually invest in people's health care um, and really help people not get into a situation where they have to make this decision. Right. And the as I understand it, the sense of urgency around this issue, particularly right now, is that Utah has a trigger law in place, which basically means that if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, which is looking like a possibility, the Utah legislature is prepared for that decision and they've already put a plan in place that would basically make an abortion illegal to get in the state. Yeah, well, and the part of it, I think that's really distressing about the law that we have here is that there is still an exception for rape or incest, but you have to have a, uh, like, like a, you have to have reported that to the police. And we know that many people do not report when they are sexually assaulted. Right. And just to think that that is like a, a solution that in any way honors people's sense of bodily autonomy, dignity, it just is not. And so I'm really, yeah, I'm really worried about it. I'm thinking about trying to have have a fundraiser or something to, you know, help um, continue to provide care for people because this is, you know, it's not going to be accessible for everyone to drive to Colorado or to, you know, cross state lines or to take the time that's needed if they do come into a situation where they're seeking abortion care. Yeah. Well, and... This weekend is the GOP state convention, and something that is on the docket for them to discuss is actually adopting, as part of their platform, a policy that would not make an exception for rape or incest. And that is a policy, that's a stance that is to the right of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So that is like some frightening and pretty radical stuff. Meanwhile, at the Democratic convention this weekend, which is Really the thing that's on my mind this week, because I think the uh, do Democrats put forth nobody in hopes of electing an independent and ousting Mike Lee versus do Democrats put forth a Democrat to run for Senate debate is fascinating. 
at once, I also can't wait to be on the other side of it. And so I am both looking forward to witnessing or uh, certainly witnessing via Twitter this weekend's Democratic convention, but also Monday morning and just having some answers and being kind of on the other side of that. Yeah. Well, you know, the side that I'm on is I think anything that we can do to oust uh, insurrection curious Mike Lee is going to be good for democracy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we'll see how it goes this weekend. Sharita, it was so nice to spend time with you this Friday morning. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. What's on deck for you? I'm running the I'm running the half marathon, so I will be part of the street disruption oh. that is coming your way. We've got lots of streets blocked off for the Salt Lake Marathon. Yeah, that is a good PSA. That is, I always forget, and then I get out can't in leave. the car and can't get anywhere. So <laughs> good luck to all the people that are running. I'll be waving at you. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Shireen. Bye. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. If you have like the greatest sandwich of your life or open the paper and go, what? Give us a call about it. We want to hear your takes and we want to play them on the show. You can leave us a voicemail at 801-203-0137. Pro tip, save the number under CityCast Salt Lake so it's on deck for your next rant or rave. CityCast Salt Lake's lead producer is Nick Steffens and our producer is Diane Majapinto. Our newsletter editor is Madeline McGill and our host is me, Ali Vallarta. Music is by Mitochondria. Stay dry this weekend. It looks rainy and snowy. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Just wear your bathing suit. The eagle one.